Amato's fifth quarter is partnered with the Inner Sanctum. The Inner Sanctum, founded in 2020, is the new ball game in sports journalism, which aims to take you behind the closed doors of sporting clubs around the country in an effort to tell the stories of those on the field. Visit the Inner Sanctum at www.theinnersanctum.com.au as well as following them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. The Inner Sanctum, unique interviews, unique content for you. This is Travis Stokes. This is Greg Oddy. This is Carson Edwards. This is Brett Maher. This is Dale Pickett. This is Eugene Greenwich. This is Kevin Brooks. This is Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Daryl McDonald. This is Sam Jacobs. And you're listening to Amato's Fifth Quarter. What's up, Australia? Why did I say that in an American accent? That was a bit cringeworthy, wasn't it? Well, awkward silence over. Welcome to episode 12 of Amato's Fifth Quarter. I'm your host, Dan, and you guys know that I love welcoming high-profile sports people on the show to chat about their careers. And today, we've got a legend, not just on the field, but off the field as well. Today, my special guest from the AFL is Sam Jacobs, who... Throughout the 2010 era, was one of the very best ruckmen in the competition and was a much-loved and cherished figure, not just at the Adelaide Crows, but in the entire AFL world, a much-respected player. Now, Source goes through all of his career. We talk about growing up in Aldrossan and making his way to the AFL, being recruited, of course, in 2007 by the Carlton Football Club, where he would spend four seasons at the Blues, played a total of 17 games, including one final. He then... Shifted to the Adelaide Crows uh, in 2011, where he would establish himself as clear number one ruckman at the club. And then at the end of the 2019 season, he moved over to GWS, where he'd play one season at the Giants, which was probably not 
the best way he would have wanted to go out. It was a very disappointing season for the club, missing the finals after making the grand final of the year prior and also a, a really difficult season for the entire AFL, of course, that was a heavily affected season by the coronavirus pandemic. So not the best way to go out, but... Look, Sam Jacobs, as I said, much love figure. You'll never, you never meet anyone say a bad word about him. Throughout his career from 2009 to 2020, he played 208 games of top-level AFL, 17, as I said, with Carlton, 184 uh, with the Adelaide Crows, and then seven with the Giants. He kicked 50 goals, of course, played in that 2017 grand final loss against Richmond for the Crows, and he is also a three-time showdown medalist in 2012, 2014, and 2017. So he was a big game player. We talk about how he came to the Adelaide Crows and what was a difficult year on the field for the club and, and the the moving on of Neil Craig, uh, which he did play one and only season under Neil Craig. We talk about the 2012 season as well, where Adelaide came from nowhere to play in a preliminary final. We do as well touch on the tragic death of Phil Walsh in 2015, the senior coach of the Adelaide Crows at the time. Uh, he does go into that as well. So we, we do talk about how that affected him and affected some of the other players at the club. So if you are a little bit sensitive to, to those issues, I just want to put that, that warning out there for everybody. We do also talk about the 2017 grand final loss and, and some of the reasons why he believes maybe the Crows didn't play as well as what they could have that day and what kind of went wrong. And we do briefly touch on the much-spoken-about 2018 Adelaide Crows camp that was a very big talking point in the media, very big talking point in the AFL. That's what you guys have to look forward to for this chat. I really enjoyed having him on. He's a great person to talk to, and he was a very good player as well. So without further ado, let's bring him on. From Carlton, Adelaide, and GWS, it's Sam Jacobs. About to come on the ground. Not a bad option when the big man Jacobs is down there. He tumbles it forward. It's going to hop through. Sauce Jacobs, what a goal. Jacobs, the big ruckman. That's how to do it. Kicks it out wide. Crouch. Jacobs and Grundy, the two big ruckmen. Grundy had the best of it. Oh, well done, Sauce. That was terrific. Welcome back to Amato's fifth quarter, and today we've got a massive guest on the show. It's Sam Jacobs from Carlton, Adelaide, and GWS. Source, thank you very much for coming on the show today. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. So, Source, I've had probably about 20-odd guests on the show, and, and you are the most recently retired guest I've had on. Your last season was, of course, the, the 2020 AFL season. How have you settled into your first year of retirement, and what have you been up to in your first sort of six to nine months out of the game? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, obviously, it always seems to come quickly to the end, but um, for me, I was, it was a decision I was really comfortable with. Um, the unfortunate game and, you know, it's probably the, the standards and all that sort of stuff of where I'm at in my life with, with young kids and a family and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm, I was very comfortable with the decision. So, um, yeah, for me, it was obviously fantastic to play 14 years at the highest level and um, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be able to do that but um, I'm really excited for what's, what's next so um, I've started working at the Crows again in an engagement role off field so um, that's been good I'm playing footy back home for my local team and and hopefully spending you know keep keep spending more time with my family as well which is obviously a, a positive too. Yeah, beautiful family always does come first. So Source, you're originally from Ardrossan on the, the York Peninsula 
Could you give maybe the listeners a bit of an insight into what life was like growing up there and um, and family life and, and also where your love of football started? Yeah, so Adrosson's a small um, small coastal town of about 1,100 people in the York Peninsula in South Australia. And, um, obviously a very small community, so had a very, you know, eventful, I guess, um, upbringing in Adrosson as there's always things to do. And being in a small town, we obviously, you know, got a fair bit of leeway from the parents, so... You know, for me, it was pretty much basketball and, and cricket in the summer and then footy, into, footy in the winter. So um, my life was mainly based around sport, um, sport and friends pretty much. So, um, yeah, I was very fortunate to have a great upbringing. There's obviously myself, mum and dad, um, and also my late brother um, who passed away in 2017. But we're all still a very, very close family and um, still I'm very close with my hometown as well. So... Um, like to keep engaged with the community back there as well. So when when was it in your early days that you realised you could potentially play football on a professional stage? Probably was something that, for me, I wasn't a dominating junior like some other players are. I was sort of a bigger guy and I guess had to, you know, grow into my body, but I was always, I was always pretty coordinated and I always had, you know, decent skills and, I guess, an understanding of the game. So, um, yeah, I guess... You know, not until probably I was under 17, under 18, um, and I got the opportunity to play league footy. And then um, from there, it probably started to become something that could happen because, um, you know, I was playing good footy at a, at a high level at a young age. So probably wasn't until I was about 17 that I thought it was, was a real chance. And um, obviously was able to play in the under 18 state team and all that sort of stuff as well. So, um, you know, the pathway obviously allows that to become a bit clearer as you get older. Um and then, yeah, very fortunate to play some league footy with the Eagles um, in the SANFLs as an 18-year-old. Yeah, so you, you played, as you said, for the Eagles in the SANFL, and then you were picked up at number one in the rookie draft by Carlton. Well, you were at Carlton for four seasons, 17 games in total for the Blues. What was the Carlton experience like? You, know, you played with some some great names in Chris Judd and Mark Murphy and Bryce Gibbs and Eddie Betts, who you later reunited with at the Crows and under Brett Ratton. What was the Carlton experience like and what was it like being at such a famous big club? Yeah, it was, it was great. Um, very fortunate to have my time at Carlton. Um, you know, that drafted me to obviously Melbourne to live and it got me out of I guess, South Australia and out of my comfort zone. So I went over there and, you know, got some real good life experiences, um, you know, about growing up, um, you know, having a fend for yourself, all that sort of stuff. So from that point of view, it was really good to go over there and meet a, a whole new group of guys that, um, you know, I didn't know too many when I first went over there. I played a little bit of state footy with um, Bryce Gibbs and Mark Austin, but other than that, sort of meeting a whole new team and a whole new squad. Um, but yeah, it was good. We we obviously weren't real successful early in my career there, and um, you know, by the end, I was fortunate enough to play in a final. But you know, over the four years, definitely my the mates I've got there. You know, I've still got a, a close group of friends that there's ten or fifteen of us that played a fair bit of footy together. Um, so yeah, very fortunate to be able to have those that time over there, and um, it really, I guess you know, four years is probably your typical working apprenticeship, and that's pretty similar how, how I look at it. As, as Carlton gave me the springboard to be able to you know play some good footy when I came back to South Australia. It was interesting you mentioned how because when obviously when you we go to an AFL club, typically speaking, you're about 18, 19. And what's it like to have to sort of grow up very quickly? Because I remember when I was 18, I don't know how I would have gone moving into state and, you know, meeting all new people and that. How, is that difficult? Because a lot of 
18-year-olds who come into the AFL have to go through that. What What's that like to adjust to at such a young age? Yeah, it can be a big shock. Um, you know, I, was, I lived in Adelaide probably six months, six to nine months before getting drafted. So I sort of had a little, a little look into what it's like living away and, and, you know, just getting yourself sorted. But, you know, for me, it was, you know, I sort of took it like a duck to water. I really enjoyed, I guess, the you know, getting myself organised, structuring my life how I want, all that sort of thing. But, you know, for some other people, they're used to having the parents do most things or, um, you know, they just got a bit overwhelmed. So the club's really good in terms of giving you support to do it. Um, but you still got to, you know, make, make the best of it as you can. And, and some people it affected their footy because you know, they weren't really organised, whereas some people, um, they sort of thrived in the, in the way of doing it. So, um, yeah, for me, I really enjoyed that side of it of, it made you grow up quickly, um, and you obviously learn a lot of life skills as well. And when you when you came to Adelaide, that was 2011, your first season at the Crows, and basically your first season, you instantly become the number one ruckman, and you hold that position until 2019, you're Adelaide's number one ruckman. That first season is really interesting because you came in, Neil Craig was still the coach, and it was a, a good season for yourself where you became a regular in the side, but a very poor season for Adelaide. What was your relationship like with Neil Craig in that, that one and only year you had with him? And, and do you remember that time when, I'm pretty sure he resigned, but had he not resigned, he probably would have been asked to resign. Do you remember that time and what that was like for the club? Neil Craig has quit as coach of the Adelaide Football Club, ending the relentless speculation about his future. He announced his decision a short time ago at Amy Stadium. I had plenty of time to think about it, um, but it's always tough. You know, when it comes to the final decision. But the key thing here is that it's the right decision. And um, and sometimes you need some time to to come to that. Um, but it's, there's no doubt in my mind that this is the absolute best decision for the Adelaide Football Club. Um, you know, because of because of the pressure that mounts um, through our performances. So you know, we take responsibility for why I take responsibility for why the pressure's there. Absolutely. Um, you know, and if I could quarantine the pressure to myself, it'd be okay. But I can't do that, of course, and because uh, it starts to affect um, everyone in the football club. Yeah, it was. Yeah, 2011. You sort of hit the nail on the head. It was. It was good personally. I, I came across and I just felt ready. Um, you know, like you said, I had four years of cult, played some, played a little bit of footy, but I just felt coming, I guess, back home here that. Um, you know, I was just ready to play AFL footy week in, week out. Obviously thrived in the Adelaide Crows environment and Craigie was a big part of that. Um, you know, when I came here, it was a very, a very hard, um, hard-working, um, high-standard, um, you know, sort of get-on-board type attitude. And I, I really enjoyed that side of it. Um, I'd like to think that I was a pretty resilient person and um, a lot of our stuff that, that Craigie taught was a lot about resilience and, and preparing yourself to be a good AFL footballer and you know he pushed ourselves or pushed us you know very hard mentally and physically and I think that that sort of side of it enabled me to play the best footy and um, I was very, very fortunate to have you know nine months with Craig unfortunately he he got moved on or he he moved on near the back end of 2011 but a lot of the stuff he um, taught you know is very much ingrained in me to, to be the person I am today. So do you remember that game uh, against St Kilda where you lost by, I think it was 103 points? That was kind of the writing on the wall for Craigie. 
that week, do you remember much of that and, and how difficult that might have been for the club? It's just work to get them better. And Adelaide register their lowest score. They lose by 103 points. Stephen Milne has a night he'll remember. We've got a goal here. This will only tease them. If it is a goal, it would have meant that they were one point short of their lowest ever score. But it's not. Punched away on the goal line. And that just says everything that needs to be said about tonight. St Kilda, 1914, 127, Adelaide 3-6. The belongs to the Saints. Yeah, it was. Obviously, Craig had been a big part of the club, you know, through the premiership years as a fitness director, and then obviously came back on board as an assistant coach and then senior coach. And um, I do remember that was a Friday night. It was Sydney's 200th game, and um, it just all went pear-shaped. We lost by over 100 points. I think we only scored three goals for the game. And um, yeah, Craig got got uh, got moved on, or he moved on that weekend. So he came back, and Mark quickly took charge on the Monday. But then we, I, I remember we came back and I think we had a good win in the showdown the next week so footy's a very funny game like that is you can have put in such a bad performance one week but then you can come out and play well the next but um, you know Craig is obviously a very much loved figure of our club and he'll be a big part of our, uh, our history and, and going forward as well as I know a lot of people still you know keep in contact with him and, and use him as a bit of a mentor as well so um, he had, certainly had a big impact on this footy club Yeah and he's still the um the longest serving coach at the club so that that you know and he took the crows to so many final series unfortunately couldn't get it done on the big stage but yeah as you said a very much love figure at, at adelaide it's that time of the podcast again quarter time here in a5q if you missed last week's episode with daryl d mac mcdonald legend of the nbl three-time champion you should definitely go check it out here is a little snippet of it in case you missed it I'm, okay, I'm not going to say people wasn't giving us a chance, but the way we play, so we play zone all year, and they're like, oh, no, they can't win the championship playing zone. And we, you know, we end up, we end up winning the championship playing zone, but, you know, it was actually a really, it was a, you know, it was a really good zone. And, but after we lost, we lost that first, that first game to Sydney by 30. And they killed us. And then Brett, it's funny, I, 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 I seen it later in like a video. I seen the, the, the look on Brett's face. And he he was almost like you know like what's going on here like he can't believe we got beat that bad you know what I mean after the, after playing the way we did but then game two we ended up blowing them out by like twenty and then we beat this was Sydney I'm talking about we ended up beating them in game three by like ten and then we went you know we went on the sweep went on the sweep the magic and and then yeah Adelaide you know game one you know close game. You can listen to the full episode with DMAC if you go back into the archives. But until then, let's get back to Sam Jacobs. One thing I've really wanted to ask you, and, and one thing that not so much within South Australia, but particularly the AFL, is forgotten about a little bit, is Adelaide Crows 2012. Brenton Sanderson comes in, an instant success. Undefeated preseason, NAB Cup premiers. You win 17 out of 22 games in the home and away season, second on the ladder, you personally are very, very unlucky to not win All-Australian. You had a fantastic year. And the Crows get to within five points of a grand final appearance after 14th the year before. What was it over the preseason and when Brenton Sanderson came in that just allowed the Crows to play the best football you possibly could have played that year? Because that is a very underrated season. 
To the Adelaide Football Club supporters and members, my name is Brenton Sanderson, uh, the new senior coach of the Adelaide Football Club. Just wanted to say how excited I am about the opportunities that are ahead. It's going to be hard work, but it's going to ensure you that we're going to have success at this football club. There's a lot of hard work to be done, and it starts today. They deserve this, the Adelaide Crows. The 2012 NAB Cup Grand Final is Adelaide's under their new coach, Brenton Sanderson. And the door opens, perhaps, on a prosperous 2012, a 34-point victory. The think that Adelaide was 14th last year, and they're going to finish in the top four this year. It's a remarkable effort by Brendan Sanderson in his first season. There's not a big crowd, but they are going to roar in a moment. It's been a great comeback. They're on their way to the prelim. Yeah, I think when Sando came in, because he came from Geelong, who was such a, a successful um, you know, team environment at that stage, I think it just installed immediate belief. Um, you know, he'd been a big part of the 2011 team that went on to win the Premiership at Geelong. And um, when Sando came across, yeah, immediately, uh, he just installed belief because you just sort of hung off every word he said because, um, you know, he'd come from such a successful environment. And um, yeah, as a team, I think we sort of went through a few changes um, after the 2011 season. And um, I think we were just at a stage where we had a lot of guys in the, in the right age demographic who had played, you know, sort of bits and pieces of good footy. And then 2012 sort of all came together. And, um, yeah, I thought we had a really good mix of senior guys and, and young, you know, young guns coming through as well with Dangerfield and Sloan and all these types. So, um, yeah, we just were really well positioned. And unfortunately... Um, we probably didn't cash in on that team we had, you know, enough in the in the next few years following. Yeah, what's your take on teams that supposedly go through re- rebuilds? Because Adelaide, you know, I don't think anyone would have ever imagined Adelaide would play in the prelim final coming into that 2012 season. You had, you did have a, a good demographic of or a good group of older players, but you had a lot of, you know, players like Dangerfield, Sloan, Taylor Walker, even yourself were not renowned back then. And you guys played out of your skins the whole year. What do you take on? Does it really take that long to turn a team around, or is that was was twenty twelve kind of like a a one in a million occasion? Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting one because like yeah, a season's so hard. So it's not like you can just do it and then that's the end. Like you've, we we did it for twenty five weeks. We had a really good year for twenty five weeks. So um, yeah, I think it's just important to, to maintain the you know, strong leaders and I think we're going through that at the Crows at the moment with, with Taylor Walker and Sloney obviously now leading the charge and you know they're they're fantastic leaders in their own right. Back then we had the same. We had, you know, Nathan Van Burlo, Scott Thompson, Michael Dowdy, Ben Rutten, all these sort of guys that, you know, really popped our team up and they, they drove really high standards and high training standards as well. So um, we all bought into to everything. We obviously had a really close team and um, yeah, it was nice to be able to have some success that year and um, I guess it really continued to, to set us up for a bit of, you know, team success in the following years to come after that. But um, we had to take a step back for a, a couple of years to go forward, but um, we certainly put some good things in place. And how about that 2012 prelim? Going into that game, no one would have given you guys a hope in hell of beating Hawthorne. Some were saying Hawthorne would win by 10 goals plus. 
But I don't think the Crows, I don't think you guys could have played any better than what you played that game. It, you just threw everything you could at Hawthorne. What's your re- recollections of that game? And in particular, where were you on the ground when Graham Johncock kicked that goal to put you in front with five and a half minutes to go? Goes inside with a handball. Douglas, little kick to Johncock. He can get it and go. He's got plenty of power. He was the sub. He's kicked the goal. And later in front. Adelaide are in front. All the guns in there, as do Adelaide. They have kicked six of the last eight goals, Adelaide. Yeah, we. I think that team, because we're a bit younger as well, we probably didn't get a lot of respect around the league that, you know, we probably should have in terms of, you know, that stuff leading into the Hawthorne game, which you said about, because, you know, we'd finished off the ladder. We had a disappointing first final against Sydney, but we came out and played a really good game in the second week of the finals against Fremantle and um, went over to... To, to Melbourne and you know put a, put a lot of good things in place and really gave them a good shake and um, yeah it was obviously a, it was a pretty special game really there's a lot of a lot of tense moments at the end um, yeah Stiffy that that goal was sort of right behind him and put us in front the crowd was going mad and then unfortunately the goal pretty much straight away so any sort of momentum we had went pretty quickly but um, yeah there's a few moments of that game I know Tech stood up at times and kicked some big goals as well so um, throughout that throughout that game there was certainly some big moments where guys stood up and you had the ball in your hand when the final siren sounds what's that like when you you know that five seconds ago you were a chance of making a grand final and then all of a sudden you don't get that opportunity again for 12 months and to be such a close margin as well here it is Adelaide need to be clean they're not you think Hawthorne might be there now suckling all he's got to do is get it to the boundary that's deliberate Yeah, obviously I'm, I do remember that really well, that having the ball to finish the game. Obviously you're, you're scrambling around, you're trying to get the ball forward because you need to score to win the game. But as soon as that siren goes, it's just, you know, you can't help but sort of be proud of your efforts. But at the same time, it's disappointing not to get to grand finals. It's such a unique opportunity. And um, yeah, it's obviously disappointing not to, not to cash in as we put ourselves in a really strong position to have a good year. What about the year, the, the, the couple of years after? I mean, naturally, when you when you make a prelim final, you're expected to be better again the next year. And th- 2013 and 14, you missed the finals both occasions, and then Brendan Sanderson's moved on. What were the reasons why you guys just couldn't replicate that form of, of 2012? Good evening. The Adelaide Football Club has sacked coach Brenton Sanderson. Tom Wren joins us live now from Westlakes. Tom, what can you tell us? Well, Brenton, we can confirm that Brenton Sanderson and the Adelaide Football Club have decided to part ways, which is an extraordinary decision given that Sanderson still has two years to run on his contract. Let me read to you a statement that's come to my hands just literally seconds ago. Brenton is a quality person and accomplished coach, but recent weeks have unearthed a need for change. These are the quotes from Rob Chapman, the chairman. Both parties have realised they have different perspectives on where we are as a footy team. It's a tough decision, but one the club feels pushes us closer to realising 
our ambitions. It's an amazing decision given that a payout is going to be in the order of some million dollars with two years to run on his contract. And this comes just two days after Andrew Fagan was appointed the club's CEO and he said he'd make sweeping changes. Let's have a listen to what he had to say just on Monday. We've got to look at the, um, the football program and ensure that we've got the best football program in the AFL. You can't always control injuries. You can't always control... Um, the decisions of officials, um, but what you can control is putting the right people in the right seats. Um, I think a bit of that was to do with Dean Bailey as well. Like we lost Dean Bailey, who was a massive mentor and a massive impact on Sando. And I think he sort of Sando was a pretty young coach at that stage, and I think he he bounced a lot of ideas and, and got a lot of guidance from Bales. And um, that was really hard for us as a group to go through that because obviously you know one of your one of your key figures is, is unwell, so. Um, yeah, that was a really challenging time and I guess as a footy club we, we probably could have um, you know you know performed better but at the same time we're, we're learning so much we're trying to stand by our coach that was going through a challenging time with obviously his health and all the um, that draft stuff as well so um, it was a challenging time for Bales and his family but as a group you know it was, it was tough because we weren't performing and um, you know I'm not, not sure what comes first but there's obviously a lot of pressure around it we weren't able to deal with it yeah, and, and when, you know, Dean Bailey did tragically, or sadly, I should say, lo- lost his life, um, did that, do you think that had anything to do with the continue, the continuing poor form of, of 2014? Good evening. The AFL community is mourning the death of Crows assistant coach Dean Bailey, who lost his fight to cancer this morning. The 47-year-old husband and father of two had been battling the disease for just three months. A life cut tragically short. The fellow's at peace now and, and it was a very difficult last week or two for him. Around 2.30 this morning, Dean Bailey lost his brief battle with cancer, his wife and two sons by his side. At 9.30, Crows players and officials were summoned to the club to learn the news. We obviously knew Dean was up for the fight and he was fighting as hard as he could, but... Um, yeah, it was you know, shattering for the boys to hear the news this morning. In December, Tess revealed cancer had filled the 47-year-old's lung. Even on leave, he attended training in between treatments, the team supporting him all the way. Yeah, I think from there, it's just, you know, it's about us rebuilding and, and finding that momentum that we had in 2012 and unfortunately we weren't able to get there. And, you know, I'm not across exactly the reasons why Santa has moved on as I, I played pretty good footy under him and... Um, really enjoyed him as a coach. So, um, but he was he was very good for us as a group. He got a lot of up, lot out of us as, as a group. But unfortunately, our performances weren't at the level they needed to be. And that uh, in this industry, that that heaps pressure on people when when the performance isn't there. I remember when I heard that Sanderson was was sacked as coach, and that was a big shock because that was very foreign for the Crows to to, to drop a coach like that. It, it seemed like. Everyone was confident that he was the man to take us forward. And then in late 2014, he was sacked. Was that a shock for you guys? Did you ever see that coming? Oh, I think any time a coach goes, it's obviously, you know, a, a, a difficult time as, as you, you know, you, you build really strong relationships and, you know, you, you work so intimately with these guys from day to day to, to, get, a, to get a good result. Um, obviously, it, it, it is. It, uh, it's a bit, bit challenging, but you've got to work through it and, you know, those, those decisions are made by the people that, that made the decisions, not the players. So um, that that decision got made and unfortunately as a player, you just got to get on with it and, and deal with it. Try and make your way forward because in this game, you know, it doesn't wait for anyone. 
Yeah, yeah, that's fair call. Well, the year after, 2015, of course, is remembered for the tragic death of Phil Walsh. And I don't expect you to go into, you know, incredible details about that. That's a, a private matter. But just on Phil Walsh, what was your take on him as a coach and the impact he had on the group? And if you don't mind if I ask, where were you when you, you heard the terrible news of his passing? Good evening. South Australians are tonight mourning the shocking loss of Adelaide Football Club coach Phil Walsh. The 55-year-old, murdered in his Somerton Park home, allegedly stabbed to death by his own son. Reporter Ben Avery begins our coverage. In the early hours of the morning, a crime that tore one family apart and broke the hearts of so many, not just in the football world, but also our community. Some so moved they felt they had to see where it happened as they tried to understand why. Devastated. He's a good coach. Liked him a lot. As far as we're concerned, he was such a lovely man and Dean Bailey, to lose Dean Bailey was hard enough, but I think to lose this under such tragic circumstances is just, it's just tragic. Those tragic events unfolded around two this morning in the Walsh family's Somerton Park home. 55-year-old Adelaide football coach Phil Walsh stabbed to death. First of all, Walsh, came in, he made a massive impact on the group. He sort of came in and he just thought differently to, I guess, all the previous coaches I'd played under. He, he sort of had a different way of doing things. And, you know, whatever he did was really resonating with the group as we had a really tough pre-season. He came in playing some pretty good footy um, before his passing. But, um, yeah, obviously, yeah, it's just one of those really tragic circumstances which you could, you know, you, you think you read about in the news, you know, overseas or somewhere like that to, to think that it happened. Here in, in your team and uh, in your team in, a, in little old sleepy Adelaide, it's pretty crazy. So um, yeah, obviously rocked us a fair bit as a group. And you know, I was at home. It was about five thirty in the morning when Scott Camparelli, our assistant coach, rang me and said that you know he had passed away. And obviously, just the the raw emotion of of trying to get your head around that and trying to perform and trying to play footy and all that. It's obviously a um, a really difficult thing to do. But um, that's also one of my proudest years, 2015, because. As a team, we were able to um, to go to the MCG, win a final, and even though we we had a poor performance the following week against Hawthorne, to to go to Melbourne and get a win like that is is something yeah something to be very proud of. Yeah, I agree that that final against the Bulldogs was one of the best the best games I think the Crows have played for for a long long time. Here it comes with Walker gets rid of his man. Now he starts to work forward with a bounce. Tex has got a one on one with Jenkins. It's Jenkins and Hamling decides no. I'll go to Cameron instead, and Cameron has taken the mark. Cameron in the closing minutes. Adelaide lead by seven points. 123 remaining. Adelaide are going to win this game here at the MCG. They keep their season alive. What an incredible season it has been for the Adelaide Crows. But being around the club at that time, I can't imagine that would have been easy for any of you to go to try and go about your business and think we've got to play the rest of the season when something like that happens. What was it like just to be around that club at that time? Well, I think to go through something like that, I think it's a pretty good place to be a footy club because there's so many support mechanisms around. You can feel like you can come here, you can work through it together. And, you know, a lot of credit must go to Scott Camparelli as, 
they did a fantastic job of rallying us together and um, you know getting getting things back on track and you know I guess allowing us time to grieve but at the same time to um, to then perform as well. So um, our leaders were fantastic, led by Sloney, Tex, and Danger, and um, you know we certainly lent on them a lot and they were they were unreal. So I think as a footy club we drive really high standards here. And, um, I think that was part of the reason why we were able to deal with it and also get a good result to finish the year. Yeah, absolutely. What about the um, that first game against West Coast? So the scenes after that game, I don't think anyone will ever forget. Um, you guys left nothing out on the field that, that day and all the emotion. You know, you and Cam Ellis-Yolman had your arms around each other. Uh, how difficult was that particular game to get up for? Well, every picture tells a story. Yeah, yeah can, great you, you can't begin to imagine what type of emotional weight they've had to deal with, these players. How incredibly personal it is for them. You just take your hat off to them. So much respect for the way they've handled themselves and the ability to come out here tonight and put in a very, very respectable performance. Fantastic scenes here. You know, different players at different levels. Senior players, young players who just come into the club. Just felt the impact of this. So I think it was great that they went out there to North Jason and made a decision and whatever happens from here, the funeral, of course, during the week. So, um, nah, this, this is... Uh, anyway, it's hard to put into words. Tremendous respect from the crowd. It's another outpouring of emotions for these brave men. And, you know, the spectators and the fans were emotional as well. Everyone shared in The entire football community has shared in this one. Yeah, well, it was difficult, but at the same time, it was sort of look forward to it because the only way to go forward is to actually get out, just get into it sort of thing. Like, the more as a club we sort of hit away and we didn't play, the, the harder it was going to be to get the season back on track. So, for us, um, you know, the West Coast game was really important. It's probably a good thing it was in Perth because it allowed us to, to get away. We all flew over, you know, friends, family, all that sort of stuff. Um, over there so it was sort of good to be able to get away and just do it as a group and um, absolutely the game the game was a massive blur and I guess at the end of the day it wasn't about the result really it was just about getting back on the horse and West Coast were unreal to play against obviously very supportive even though they beat us and um, that's what footy is um, I guess that sort of helped propel us to, to you know get back home and, and play in a really good showdown. I mean, that year the club did did so well to, as we mentioned before, to make the finals and then win a final at the MCG. And some were thinking that year maybe you guys could go all the way and it would be, you know, one of the most remarkable stories in sporting history. But it, it fell apart really in the, the final against Hawthorne. You lost by 70-odd points. From For me personally, it kind of seemed like you guys had exhausted everything out of yourselves physically and mentally, emotionally. And you just had nothing left in the tank against Hawthorne. Is that a fair call? That'll be it. The biggest win ever for Alistair Clarkson in his 20th final, his 14th win. So much talk about that champion. But Hawthorne inflict Adelaide's biggest ever defeat in the final today. And they're off to their fifth consecutive preliminary final. Yeah, it is. I think you sort of you dare to dream in those times to think, you know, maybe, maybe we could, maybe we could get through and, and win a grand final, but I think, yeah, looking back, I think that Western Bulldog game was sort of, you know, our grand final in a way that even that was a challenging game itself. We didn't have an easy win or anything like that. It was a, a game fought right to the end. And, 
Um, you can just see the emotion of us after the game that, you know, the boys obviously left it all out there. And Hawthorne were, you know, turned out to be one of the teams, you know, with a, you know, one of the greatest teams of all time. So we certainly ran into a, a great opponent and, and they were too good for us. And, um, you know, they went on to, to win the grand final uh, again. So it's not like we weren't playing a good quality team. But yeah, it was, uh, I think to get a result to, to be able to win a final like that was still a very successful year. I think when you look at things in, in respect to what happened, that's probably the best result you guys could have achieved out of that year, given the circumstances. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I think just to have us back playing footy um, and, you know, grieving and operating as people was, uh, was, was successful that year. Referee says, fellas, take a break. It's half time. Hey everyone, I just want to say a very big thank you to those who have engaged with A5Q. I really do appreciate all the support. I trust you're enjoying delving into all things Australian sport and hopefully you will continue to stick around. It would be a massive help if you could please do me a solid. Subscribe to the podcast and hit me up with a rating and a review. Gaining as much positive feedback as possible helps boost my visibility and it allows the podcast to be seen by other Australian sports tragics out there. Now, enough of that. Let's get back into it because the second half of A5Q is about to get underway. So the next year, 2016, Don Pike comes in and and that year particularly, you guys are probably unlucky to not finish in the top four and you only make the semi-final, which was probably you would have been expected to at least go to a prelim or possibly even a grand final. But the next year, 2017, is of course the year that haunts all Adelaide Crows fans. I mean, you're the best team in the competition, minor premiers, convincing wins in both the qualifying final and the preliminary final. Um, and a great season for you again, but it was early in the finals when you had a personal tragedy, as you mentioned before, you lost your, your brother Aaron. Um, if you're comfortable to talk about it, um, how difficult is that in terms of, firstly, to lose your brother, but then second of all, to lose at that time when you're having to deal with playing in the finals and the pressure that comes with that to have such a, a deep personal loss like that? Yeah, it was. It was a really challenging time, like you said, just trying to manage all my emotions. And I think it was two days after my brother passed, we found out we were having a baby as well. So um, it really was, uh, you know, a lot of happiness with footy and a lot of family life with having a baby. But then you obviously, you know, you're grieving and, and dealing with the loss of my brother. And we lost my wife dad earlier that year as well which obviously that played a big part in us you know as a couple too and it was a very emotional year and um you know 2017 was certainly probably my most uh eventful year um to say the least and um you know it was really challenging but once again to be at a footy club and to get so much support not only from crows but from you know australia wide and all that sort of stuff um you know, was was really sort of warming at the same time. And, you know, for me, getting the grand final would have been great to win it. But just to be able to, you know, pick myself up off the canvas, perform, um, you know, in the big games and play well with all this other stuff going on, um, it certainly, you know, it certainly gives me a lot of lot of joy and a lot of pride that, you know, I'm able to perform with that going on. So, um, yeah, really difficult year. And it would have been nice to have uh, win the, won the grand final and dedicate that to him, but it wasn't to be... Um, yeah, just very fortunate about to get an opportunity to play in the AFL Grand Final. Yeah, beautifully answered, Source. Um, it's interesting because I think to a lot of people that don't actually play professional sport, it seems like when the team's going well, subconsciously, 
you know, us as fans, we think that everything's going well in your life. Like footy is like a symbol of what's going on yeah. in your life. And that's from what you've answered now, 2017 sounds like one of your toughest years personally, even though it was probably the best year in terms of football. You know, it's it's interesting how things can be going good off the field, but not so good off the field. What's your sort of take on that? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of, oh, probably not a lot, but, you know, I think that's the case for a lot of players is that, you know, if they're happy off-field, they're, they're going well on-field. And um, it's certainly not for everyone, you know, with so much going on personally to be able to go out there and perform. But, um, you know, for me, I'd like to think that I was, I was, you know, professional in the sense that, you know, when it, when it was my turn to perform, that I was able to do that throughout the year, regardless of what's going on in personal life. And, um, like I said, that's something I really prided myself on. But uh, certainly not for everyone. And, you know, some people might have a lot of stuff going on personally and, you know, footy's almost like a safe haven because um, for those two hours on the weekend, you can go out there and just play without thinking about what's going on in your personal life. So, um, yeah, it was definitely a lot of learnings from that. And, um, you know, 2017 really shaped, I guess, who I am today and, um, you know, certainly had a big impact on my next few years after that as well. So the 2017 Grand Final is, is one I do want to ask you about. Um, I'm sure it's not your favourite memory, really but firstly I just want to ask you first time in nearly 20 years the club makes a grand final what is the feeling like during the week leading up to a grand final and I want I want to know what's the feeling and the emotion like when you when you're in the rooms and you come up the race and you you run through the banner with a hundred thousand people at the MCG screaming and I, I was there that day and first time I've ever been to the MCG so for a fan it was amazing but I'd love to know what it's like as a player yeah, I guess first off, I think a lot of people, and you know, you touched on there as well, that you know, it's probably a day I don't want to remember. Like for me, it's the opposite. Like the day I do want to remember because it's a really special thing to be able to play in an AFL Grand Final. And unfortunately, one out of eighteen teams teams win every year. And um, you know, even to break it down even more, there's probably even less because you know, like the Crows at the moment going through a rebuild. So then you're already down to you know North Melbourne going through a rebuild. So the the pool actually smallens again for teams that can probably win it. For us to be up and around that mark, you know, something I'm very proud of is to be that close to winning a grand final and soak up everything that came with it. You know, the parade, cheering, all that sort of stuff. Um, for me, I just just soaked it all up. Um, but then obviously it comes to the game, and I guess it's a bit about who can manage their emotions and who can manage their energy. And uh, when you run out of the ground, it's it's obviously an absolute cauldron. Um, it was our home game, but obviously there's a lot of Richmond supporters there as well. So, um, you know, it's a moment I won't ever forget being able to run out. Um, you know, to start the game is just, you know, it's obviously the pinnacle of, of our special game. And, um, you know, to be a part of the build-up and experience that is just something you can't replicate, you know, anywhere. And, you know, whether it's Adelaide Oval or, or Metricon Stadium, the moment where you run out for a game is obviously a very special special time and you just can't get that feeling anywhere else I don't think you guys should be used to this by now we all know what time it is three quarter time in A5Q and I probably don't need to keep reminding you every single episode but three quarter time means giving you guys a teaser trailer for another guest I've got coming on the show now this guy has got a title that is his and his alone no one can ever take it away from him we're going to keep it South Australian keep it Adelaide Crows for this episode I sat down and had a chat with the first ever Adelaide Crows captain, Chris McDermott. As we go into 
everything in his career, his SNFL career. He's obviously a South Australian football legend. We talk about the first preseason at the Adelaide Crows and, and what it was like going through that first summer leading up to the first game against Hawthorne Football Park, round one, 1991. We talk about the 1993 preliminary final, which we've mentioned quite a few times on this pod with a lot of players and coaches who were associated in that game. And we speak about... The Robert Shaw era, that tough Robert Shaw era, and of course when Malcolm Blight came in at the start of 1997 and um, got rid of you know quite a few key players, one of them was Chris McDermott. But I don't want to spoil the whole thing. Let's just give you guys a little snippet of it. No, I probably can't explain it. Um, it, it was a really unique one, and I know you know the four blokes that you mentioned all had similar feelings. Um, so you know it was hard to have that because there was still a bit of disappointment and, you know, no doubt a bit of anger at not being there. I'm coaching North Adelaide. We're in the finals. So I, I didn't even... I didn't didn't watch the game. I, you know, um, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but, um, no, I didn't, didn't watch it. Um, so, yeah, I was really mixed emotions. And again, at that stage, I didn't feel part of the footy club it was a you know again times are different 25 years ago um so you no know, there wasn't really that i was happy that for individually for the players you know i still had a good relationship with quite a lot of the players a good friendship with a lot of them um you know my feelings for the club at that stage were a little strained Chris McDermott is an absolute gentleman and i'm sure it's going to be an episode that you guys are going to absolutely love so definitely stay tuned but for now, let's get back to source. So you, you're playing an underdog Richmond side and you start the game pretty well. You lead at quarter time. But, and this is just my own personal belief, my feeling in the second quarter was kind of like calm before the storm. So the second quarter, you weren't playing bad, but it just seemed like things weren't quite right, especially compared to how you'd been playing pr- like previously. Um, and then the second half was obviously pretty ordinary in terms of the on-field performance. What what went wrong against Richmond? The 2017 AFL Grand Final. Underway. Stolen by Laird. He's had plenty of the footy here early. Cameron Wick got it again. Fancy handball. Laird to Kraut. Kraut short ball. Sloan. Sloan was marked 40 out directly in front. Wait until you hear this. Very close to the man. Quite Cameron looking dangerous. Left foot to the goal place. Not quite for Boston. Eddie, they've got two. Betts has got his first. Ford. The Tigers are going to win the Premiership in 2017. The Tigers have got home for the first time in 37 years. No doubt Richmond came to play a lot more than we did. And, yeah, we started the game well, but we probably weren't playing, like you said, how we wanted to. And <clears throat> I think that second quarter, we were able to sort of rally a little bit. We went in at nine points down at halftime, but it felt like we were down by nine goals at halftime. Like, the rooms were just really flat. And I think everyone was sort of a bit shell-shocked. And like you said, like, we were sort of the warm favourites going into the game. And But Richmond, you know, as we've learned now, are one of the greatest teams of the modern, modern era. And... Um, they obviously played the game on their terms and how they wanted to, and 
um, they've been able to replicate that since. So, you know, for us, it was, once again, a lot of learnings. And um, they probably, the game goes really quickly. Um, so you sort of got to really cash in when it's your moment because the game flies by and you just got to make sure you take all your opportunities you can. That is really interesting how you said you were only nine points down at halftime, but it felt like you were nine goals down. And look, I'm sure you're aware that there's been, you know, a bit of talk, a bit of innuendo that certain things might have been said or whatever at halftime. Were there, was there anything sort of untoward in terms of what was said at halftime or were there, were there anyone, any arguments or anything like that that sort of occurred? No, nah, nothing like that that I can remember. Um, I just remember it just being a more flat sort of feeling in the rooms. Um, probably the opposite, if anything. There probably wasn't enough conversation um, for, you know, to, to be so close on the scoreboard, but it, it felt like more. Um, it's obviously a really unique thing. So, I don't know, maybe we needed to have a few more arguments, but um, we came out, we didn't start the third quarter really well, and they sort of took the game from us, um, you know, pretty, pretty well early on in that third quarter. Because when, I mean... And, and I've got a similar feeling to you. When, when you guys went in at halftime, it seemed like things weren't right. And then once they kicked the first goal of the third quarter, it kind of just felt like, nut nah, the game's finished, even though it was only three goals. Is that sort of how you guys felt? Not not that it's gone, but you you, you like you got that feeling of it's just not happening today? Yeah, well, it felt obviously like that third quarter went really quick. So I was like, we, we were nine points down, I think it was at halftime, and then Jack Graham, I think, kicked that first one. And then before you know I think we were 48 points down at three-quarter time or something like that. So, you know, the actual, you know, the, the chances of coming back from that in a grand final was obviously pretty low. Um, you basically have to kick, they, like, eight goals nil in the, in the yeah, last quarter. Yeah, exactly. So, like, the, the game just happens really quickly. And, you know, it's probably more the point that they, they were able to take the game away from us really quickly in that third quarter and sort of just blew us away and, and almost put the game away at three-quarter time. Again, just my personal belief, and if you disagree, that's totally fine, but it seemed to me like the Crows coming into that game took it very seriously. Like, you know, you, you knew you were the favourites, you knew you the pressure was on you guys to win, and you took it really seriously as if you've got to win the game, whereas Richmond kind of seemed to come into the game more the mindset of, gee, we finished 13th last year, we're, we're so happy and grateful to be here, and they kind of just played their best football? It's probably a fair fair thing. I guess all the talk was about us as a team as well. Whether we didn't quite deal with the expectation, I don't know, but um, Richmond certainly came and they just played that really high-pressure game. Um, you know, we're happy for the ball to be on the ground and happy to scrounge and fight and all that sort of stuff. And I guess that was their style. Proved that it can hold up um, for the moment. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know, mate. Like, I think it's just one of those things that, you know, Footy's, footy's great like that in terms of you've got no idea who's going to win a game, especially at the moment. The competition's so even, and I think going into that game, I think when you put all the factors together that it's in Melbourne, Richmond's home game, they haven't been there for you know 30 years or whatever it was. You know, they had a lot going for them as well, but um, yeah, unfortunately, we, we weren't able to perform on the day. So how hard was that loss to take, the passing of your brother and, and some other tragedies happened in your personal life? But and, and that absolutely comes before losing a football game. But was there a, a sense of, gee, I might not get this opportunity again? Nah, not for me. I Yeah, like you said, mate, it was secondary for me. So I didn't... It, to be honest, it didn't really affect me too much at all, losing the grand final from that point of view. Um, I, I looked at everything as a positive because of, I guess, what I was going through personally. But... Um, it didn't. It didn't. 
you know, I wasn't having sleepless nights because we lost an AFL grand final. It was more, I guess I was just trying to pick up the pieces from my family life more so than, than footy at that time. Yeah, absolutely. So the next couple of years, 2018 and 2019, really are, are really disappointing seasons for the Crows. You missed the finals both occasions and there are certain, you know, issues on and off the field. There's a lot of talk about that, that pre-season camp and whatnot. Do, do you think, that camp had anything to do with the on-field demise of the Crows in 18 and 19? It's been an intriguing year for Adelaide Crows supporters. They were the team of last year. They had a bad grand final day, but it's fair to say there has been some drama this year. It almost started the day following the grand final, continued through the pre-season and lingered, frankly, for most of it. Enough has been said on the matter, and I'm not going to delve in it again tonight. Before we acknowledge we made some mistakes... That's what humans do. In our drive to improve in our program, both in our physical and our mental side, um, in hindsight, seeking gains, maybe we push too far. And that I regret. And here's the problem. Sorry's not enough. Sorry is not enough to that group. The sorry part of it, the forgiving part of it, the managed part of it from here moving forward, I think from what I've heard is problematic. You're and problematic for me, means change or leave. Oh, I think, you know, no doubt all the, the external noise and all that had an effect on our performance. But um, I guess the reality is it was, you know, for me, though, I look back at that time and, you know, regardless of what happened, it was just a missed opportunity with the team we had. We obviously had a really, a really strong core group of players who were, you know, sort of getting older, but we sort of all still at the peak of our powers. For me, that was probably the biggest thing was, you know, all that, that noise outside and, you know, the stuff at the camp and all that probably, you know, affected our performance and, and we, we missed opportunities to be able to, you know, have some team success. So for me, that's the way I, I look back at it more so now is it's just a missed opportunity to be able to, you know, cash in on the situation we had. So did you gain anything positive from that camp? Is it as negative as what it has been portrayed to be? Oh, yeah, with, and without going, I mean, it's been done to death, the camp, but without going into it too much you know there's obviously some positive stuff to come out of it um there's a lot of stuff where i didn't feel it was relevant to what we're doing you know there's a you know it's just your typical camp of the club tried to do something different to try and upskill us and try and make us even you know more more um more determined as a group and didn't quite come off but you know one thing i will say is i don't i don't ever feel you know anything bad towards the club because reality is we had to get better as a team and we tried something and it, it didn't come off and you know if we if we rolled out the next year and did the same thing and had the same result then you'd be thinking you know why didn't we try something different and you know to to Pikey and, and all their credit they tried something different it didn't work but um, you know unfortunately it's just a missed opportunity and um, you know the club the club obviously decided to go down the rebuild path and I guess that's that's where things are at, at the moment. So, do you think, I mean, obviously 2019 was in theory Adelaide's last chance to win a premiership and unfortunately yep. you, you couldn't do it. At the end of 2019, you moved on to GWS. Was that your call or was that the club's call? Greater Western Sydney confirmed on Wednesday they are looking to trade for restricted free agent Sam Jacobs. It's probably looking at best case scenario for us would be to facilitate a trade with uh, Justin Reed and the Crows okay. for Sam because you just don't want to dilute 
the uh, end of second round pick we've got now by any way, shape or form. And what I mean by that, any dilution of that could go out to the end of the third round. So it's a, it's a fair swing of, you know, 18, 19 pick. No, that was my call. Um, and I think that's probably right. 2019 was probably our last chance. We weren't able to deliver and we were all getting older and at different situations. So, uh, you know, for me, the club was looking to rebuild. Um, Riley O'Brien was obviously coming through and was probably ready. You know, he'd probably been ready for a couple of years but hadn't been able to get into the team. And um, the, the Giants offered me two years, the Crows offered me one year. And, um, you know, in that year, it was mainly going to be based around, I guess, mentoring and, and playing at NFL. So, for me, I thought, why not go up there, give give Riley some clear air. He didn't need the old... The old uh, the old boy hanging around um, to give him an opportunity to play better footy. So for me, it was go up to Sydney, um, you know, learn a new city, try something different, um, give myself a chance at a flag and, and hopefully play some more AFL footy rather than, you know, just playing SNFL footy. So there was nothing, no ill feelings towards the club. Um, they gave me the opportunity to continue on if I liked. I decided to, to go elsewhere. So, um, you know, it brought me back in now at the club. So it, it's all worked out all right. The GWS experience, you were only there for, for the one season and you, you reunited with Phil Davis. You got to play with Stephen Canelio, Heath Shaw, Toby Green, Tim Taranto, these sort of guys. Um, how did you, you view your one and only season at the Giants? What was, I don't know if you felt if that was maybe your, la- your personal last chance to win a premiership that just come off a grand final. Um, what was that, that experience at GWS like? Well, it's sort of broken into two parts. It was sort of the first part which was sort of pre-season and, and heading into the season. I absolutely loved it. You know, we really enjoyed Sydney. Um, everything went really well. I was in really good nick. Played, you know, round one, I played a really good game. And then, unfortunately, COVID hit. We had 10 weeks off. You know, I struggled to get good quality training in because of the tight restrictions um, and where I was located. Um, then we came back and obviously we didn't, we didn't play the footy that we like, so... Um, for me, that was probably the most disappointing part was that I didn't really get a, a chance at it. And obviously, with, you know, all the financial challenges and all that come with COVID and we're about to uh, have our second baby that, you know, it was best that I actually put the uh, family first, and um, which is obviously disappointing because it would have been nice to have two years in Sydney and have some success, play some more footy and all that sort of thing. But um, it wasn't to be and um, I decided to, yeah, make the call and, and put the family first. That's that season last year. Obviously, twenty twenty coronavirus affected the whole world. What was that like for you when you you come into the season round one? You sort of everyone was a bit nervous. Gee, what's happening in the world here? Where you know anyone that says they weren't worried about COVID, I think is is lying. I mean, that first game, no crowds, and then everything shut down. How was what's that like for you? You know, with a young family, you, you're trying to sort of have a good season at a new club and then that happens. How does that sort of affect your mental state? Today, after a meeting with the AFL Commission, the AFL has moved to immediately suspend the 2020 Toyota AFL Premiership season at the conclusion of this weekend's matches. We'll also conclude the NAB AFL women's season as a result of the continuing spread of the COVID-19 virus. We will review the situation by the end of April to determine whether a further suspension period would be required. The decision by various state governments to close their borders and travel bans and other measures meant it was time for the AFL to immediately stop the AFLW and AFL competitions. 
All AFL club training will be suspended while we work with the clubs on the best way to manage players ahead of games being resumed. Yeah, I guess I, footy probably just didn't become my primary focus. Um, I guess managing the family life was, was uh, you know, my top priority. And, you know, I asked a lot of my family that year, you know, we were living in Sydney, we were flying here, there and everywhere. You know, I went to Perth for three weeks, went to Brisbane. You know, we moved back to the Gold Coast. My wife was pregnant with a two-year-old flying all around Australia, trying to keep up with us, trying to follow these protocols and all that sort of stuff. So all that took a big toll on us as a family. And I think when it came to footy, I was just drained. Um, you know, I just didn't have the the uh, the energy to, to I guess, you know, keep fighting and, and scrag for my, you know, my role and play well because it just wasn't... Um, yeah, it just wasn't my primary focus. My family was at that stage. Um, I love my time at the Giants. They're a fantastic club, and I look forward to staying, you know, um, staying close with a lot of the boys there, and and the club also is, um, you know, they're they're a great club, like I mentioned. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just disappointing that it, that it ended that way. But I've also been very fortunate, um, you know, to play as long as I did. There's a lot of guys on, you know, even on the Giants list that weren't able to play reserves footy and it you know, probably cost them their career at times. So, um, you know, it's different challenges for a lot of different people. Yeah, right. When, when a professional athlete makes the decision that it's all over and it's time to retire, how did you, how, how did that sit with you? Were you content with it? Were you, was it sad? When you know, yep, I'm done, what's that emotion like? I think when it's all over, yeah, it's just sort of relief because <clears throat> obviously you live in the professional life and there's a lot of restrictions and a lot of sacrifices made to do that. So for me, it was like, you know, an ability to just take a deep breath and um, I guess go and have some guilt-free food and have a beer if I want one without having to stress yeah, nice. that I'm going to run it off the next day. So um, for me, I still live a very similar lifestyle anyway, um, just because that's just all I know. And I don't want to be that person to put on weight and whatnot. So my life hasn't changed a lot, but I just don't have the the up and down, you know, emotional roller coaster that I do. Uh, well, that I did have, you know, over the past 14 years. So um, my life's definitely a lot more level and that's something I'm, I'm definitely enjoying the most about being retired. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And Sauce, just as we are about to close up now, um, personally, I believe you should be a two-time All-Australian, if I'm honest. I think 2012 and 2014, you were very unlucky on both occasions to not be All-Australian. Is there any disappointment at all that you never got the full recognition out of South Australia that I believe you deserved? Um, oh, no doubt at times. You know, I, I wish I did have one, I guess. The biggest thing is because I'm a competitor and um, I look at all my, the ruckmen that I came through, like Dean Cox, Sandy Land, Todd Goldstein, Max Gorn, you know, all these got Brody Grundy, all these guys got their All Australians and, you know, I was, I was, you know, I'm right up there with the most capped person to, to be nominated without getting one. So, <clears throat> um, you know, I lost, I lost an AFL grand final, I lost two VFL grand finals. Um, you know, I was three times nominated in Australia and it just would have been nice to, um, you know, take one of them with me as my career could have looked a whole lot differently, had a few things gone my way. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that, you know, it's not it's not a regret or anything like that, but it just would have been nice to have, I guess, to, to won something and, and taken a bit more from my career that I'm already so proud of. Source, you were robbed. You were absolutely robbed. 2012 <laughs> and 2014, mate, you, you were the All-Australian Ruckman, in my opinion. 
Uh, thank you very much, Corn, <laughs> but it doesn't say that in the books, unfortunately, but that's okay as well. <laughs> and just just now, as, as I am about to finish up now, but I always ask my, my special guests on three questions, and I'll ask them all in one sentence, and I'll ask you now, in your entire career with any club you've played for, who is the best player you ever played with and why? Who is the best player you ever played against and why? And lastly, who is the best coach you ever played under and why? Yeah, good questions. Uh, well, first off, I think Scott Thompson, um, who I know he's not as highly credentialed as some others that I've played with, um, but but the impact he had on my career um, and the standards he drove and what he expected of me, I guess, enabled me to be the player that I was. And, um, you know, he's he's a very underrated player, Scott Thompson. He played, you know, over 300 games, best and fairest, all Australian. A lot of prelims. Um, he was so incredible, he, Scott Thompson. He was absolutely yeah, he incredible. Was. I, and another guy who I don't think got the credit outside of South Australia that he probably deserved. Um, I agree. agree. He just, yeah, he, 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 it's just his training and his, the way he carried himself as a footballer as well. He's, you know, he's so ruthless and, you know, I, I took a lot from him. Um, I thought Max Gorn, um, he's just the most well-rounded player. You know, he's fast, he's fit, he's tall, he marks the ball well, his rut craft's extraordinary, um, he's good below his knees. So he's probably, in terms of the, the, the ruck stuff, he's, he's probably just in front of Dean Cox um, just because he's, yeah, I feel he's just just got a little bit more explosiveness and, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's really at the top of his game at the moment, Max, and he's making a big impact. Um, and my favourite coach would have to be David Teague, who was my VFL coach at the Bull Ants, and um, he really gave me self-belief to, to be an AFL footballer and, just filled me up with confidence and he, he made footy really enjoyable for me um, while challenging me at the same time. So um, obviously I'm, I'm biased. He's one of my close mates, T, as well. And um, I've got a lot, I owe a lot to him um, for, for, I guess, how my career panned out. Awesome. Source, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been awesome to have you on. Um, you are an absolute legend of the Crows and, and I wish you all the best now in everything you're doing with your family and your wife. No worries, mate. It's nice to uh, nice to reflect every every now and then. And that's a wrap. Thank you to everyone for tuning into A5Q. Don't forget to spread the word, subscribe, leave a rating. Until next time, old sport.